Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? We're fantastic and complain. So let's get straight into it. So tell us, first of all, a little bit about your business, what problem you solve, and who you solve it for. So actually, I have two businesses. They're so, somewhat interrelated. So the one that actually uh, makes money and helps kind of support my family is uh, Spark6, which is a software design and development shop. So creating and designing mobile apps, web apps, custom software. Um, been around for just over a decade doing that. And uh, we work with a lot of different sizes and shapes of, of clients and organizations. Um, but primarily, we focus on kind of leveraging technology that's moving the needle in a positive way for the world. Um, granted, it's our opinion on what we think is good, but you know, we work in a lot of sustainability and education. So a ton of nonprofit work for cause companies and also just regular companies that are, are using tech for good. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the main gig. And then, uh, about a year ago, we incubated a product, which is now its own company and that's called vouch. And that's like a, a peer to peer personal recommendation platform, um, that we built pretty much to scratch our own itch at the agency. I was tired of losing recommendations that people told me I had to, you know, try and, uh, you know, so we we built our own platform for that. Okay, beautiful. Thanks for sharing. We're definitely going to come back to that shortly. And you do also touch about, touch on uh, your business that supports your family. We'll get back to that as well. But I want to come back to Eric. Who was Eric growing up? If I were to meet you when you were 10, 15, 16, uh, who were you? Yeah, I was, I was a pretty quiet, um, athletic, driven, and just competitive person. So um, I grew up in, in beautiful San Diego. And, uh, you know, all my formative years, I still have uh, friends that, um, you know, I was there in first grade that we still get together. You know, I'm now 45 years old. So just like we had an amazing crew um, that, you know, again, is is still actively um, in each other's lives today. So, you know, I was a, a very studious kid, you know, I had straight A's. I wanted to go to college. I was, you know, hardworking enough and focused. I got to go um, to UCLA eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I always had a sense and again, I have this little bracelet, which I, and your audience probably can't see, that says balance, which I know is very in line with being in harmony. I always had this sense that, all right, I'm in school. Um, I know I'm there for academics, of course, but like I always wanted to make sure I was having fun too. You always hear about people like, you know, they regretted maybe um, that they, they didn't take more time off, right? You know, certainly once you get into the working world, but I kind of had that sense from a pretty young age. So I partied pretty good in high school. You know, I also was an athlete and, you know, I was, had a good enough grades and, you know, was able to go on to the school you know, that I really wanted to go to. What sports did you get into? I was a soccer player. I played a little bit of everything, but yeah, soccer was definitely my main. Okay, main. beautiful. Now, soccer player, did you get a scholarship or not? I did not. No. Okay, so soccer player, as 3 student, how does Eric starting a business in the, I want to say, in the, the year 2000 or mid-2000s? Uh, can you help us understand that transition from holistically, right? Personally, academic and all that all the way down to. So, yeah, I had no interest just to let the audience know being an entrepreneur, getting into business. Um, I actually had my my sights set on being a professor early on, actually. But while I was in school, so I just rewind a half a second. While I was in college, I really fell in love with music. Um, you know, I, I taught um, a friend of mine in high school. Well, I tutored him in math and his dad taught me how to play guitar. And that was my first like, love was was music and so i did end up graduating um from ucla but to my my parents chagrin i ended up you know after i finished uh, college i went to work at tower records um which obviously is no longer around but i was really focusing on on music so i formed a band in college and then through um you know some luck and some hard work we actually won ourselves onto a, a pretty famous 
um, punk rock tour called the Warp Tour, and uh, that would I would consider my very first company it was my band. You know, we were very serious. Um, I took it incredibly serious. We had a, a P and L. We had rehearsal, you know, schedules, and like I ran it like a CEO would. I'm like, if you're not, you know, committed, if you're not showing up, if you're not, you know, performing, you're out. Um, but so yeah, that was like my first entry into business. Um, and then I went back to work on my master's because I was still like, you know, pretty focused on becoming a professor. So I was working on my master's in psychology, and then started a family. Um, I always wanted to be a fairly young dad, and I did that. And then I realized how expensive. It is, um, and and the road to making any kind of real money as a professor, especially here in Southern California, was a little daunting. Um, so I was really at a, at a crossroads. I had just finished my first year of grad work. I was doing really well. I was enjoying it, but obviously, I started needing to you know pay pay the bills. Really, is what it came down to. Um, and so I had some really rough conversations with my professor and said, "Hey, I just need to pump the brakes on on school right now." And at the time, I was working. Um, six different jobs. I was, you know, a research assistant, a teacher's assistant. I was, you know, doing private work with autistic kids. I was driving limousines, um, and then I was a full-time student. And then I was working at a place that replicated uh, CDs and DVDs when those were a thing. So that was what was paying my bills. And uh, yeah, so unbeknownst to me, I was being groomed for sales while I was working as a project manager at this CD and DVD place, and I enjoyed the work. I was like, oh, putting deals together is fun, but I was really just kind of making sure projects went smoothly. And I was working with record labels and movie studios. So I felt like I was still, you know, tangentially attached to music. Um, and so that kind of took me into my my first real entrepreneurial pursuit. So I left that CD and DVD place and I worked for a much larger company um, as a 1099 kind of sales rep. And, you know, they were a print and packaging company. In all reality, they were really just a giant bank. They were a half a billion dollars in, in revenue, and they would send people like me out into the world. And if I could find someone that would want to buy something, and if I had um, a way to make that thing, you know, they would basically help fund the deal. And it was literally from like vodka bottles to skateboards to, I mean, you name it. It was just like the ultimate broker um, type of a company. And I really cut my teeth um, in business there. Okay, so quickly. What kind of professor did you want to be or what did you teach as professor back then? Yeah, so I studied psychology and anthropology. And so I love kind of marrying those two disciplines of like that evolutionary psychology. So like understanding issues like infidelity or obesity and, you know, some of these modern problems, but understanding from like an evolutionary perspective so we can really get some insights and hopefully like combat some of these issues that we're facing. That's never bad uh, when you make psychology and sales, I would assume. Yeah. Okay. So you were doing that for a while. Still curious to know how you got into starting um, your agency years later. Yeah. So to to continue on the the story, so I was working for this giant you know broker firm that again would let us put together deals of all shapes and sizes. And I actually had a project that um, needed I don't know like a million dollars worth of skateboards. And uh, at the time, still today, most of that was made overseas um, in China. And so the company that I was with didn't have any infrastructure in China. And I was uh, very scared. These things were going to be ending up in you know big box retailers here in the US. And I was you know ignorant of a lot, but I knew that there was you know safety standards and all sorts of things that these things need to pass. And so I flew to China. I had a friend who had lived in Taiwan, who knew a friend of a friend, got a translator. So I'm literally like in China in these 
you know, podunk towns and stuff. And I'm at these factories and I'm appalled. I'm like, I cannot imagine the conditions and that these things are going to be safe. And so I was really just like scared to put together this deal ultimately, you know? And so through a family friend, um, I was introduced to another company that actually was doing promotional products um, out in China, you know, doing a lot of, you know, swag and apparel. And they wanted to get into more retail products and they already had a nice infrastructure over in China. So I, uh, I took another sales guy from my previous company and kind of approached this other company that already had the foothold in China. And I said, hey, can we put something together? And so we did. We formed a subsidiary, um, me and my business partner and this other company. And so, yeah, that, that went on and for about eight years until eventually that parent company kind of fully absorbed our little entity and long-winded way of saying is that's when I finally got into technology. So after I got acquired, you know, I was really just looking for kind of a fresh start in things. Um, I think I mentioned off, you know, off camera, offline that, you know, I went through a lot of personal and professional growth during that time where I really just, I hit the reset button and I ended up getting um, divorced and having full custody of my children and just like really, you know, taking some stock in, in where I was headed in my life. And, um, you know, same time professionally, I was like, this isn't where I wanted to go after it was acquired. So um, I fell into the technology role. So Spark 6 is actually, um, the agency had been around at that time for about four years and they were looking um, kind of for like a COO type. And I'm like, well, I can run a business. I don't know anything about tech, but kind of knew one of the owners and we kind of took a chance on each other. Quite soon after that, I ended up buying out one of the original co-founders and then it's been me and the other, other co-founder running it for yeah, six years now. So I just want to get your thinking process. So when you were, you went to China, you saw out of an opportunity, uh, but you still had your family to take care of and all that, because that was really one of the reasons, if not the reason why you didn't uh, complete your yes. teaching path. What was the thinking there? Any fears as far as stability and all that? Or did you have something in place? What was the... Or- Look, not a, not a huge safety net. I mean, I've always been somewhat calculated, but somewhat risky in kind of my pursuits, like going into music. And like, I always just, you know, kind of hope for the best and hope that my work ethic and things will work out. But no, absolutely. Some of the the scariest times having two young kids and basically only eating what you kill. I mean, I was sales guy 101, you know, and all these companies, that was my role, like tip of the spear, putting together these kind of bigger strategic partnerships and, and, and ultimately top line revenue coming in. So Definitely some sleepless nights. Um, you know, I do have a supportive family that, you know, probably wouldn't let me go homeless, you know, but, you know, definitely let me feel like the fear and feel what it's like to have to provide for yourself. Okay, beautiful. So now you've started your current uh, agency. You've been, you've been at it for a while now. So let's let's fast forward to today. What is your, what I call support system? Like, and support system doesn't necessarily have to be people. It could be automations, it could be tools, it could be spending time with still doing music, for example. What is that life or surrounding Eric like today to the point where you kind of hopefully somewhat happy with your life? I'm I'm incredibly happy. I'm incredibly blessed. I um I do a few things that I, I'd love to share with you and, and and your audience. So when talking about being in harmony, like I really when I went through that reset where I just I hit that button and said I as far as I know, I only am one time on this planet and I wasn't living kind of my own truth, my, to my ability. And that's when I decided to make some big moves. And I really just, I took stock in what does make me happy. I love the pursuit. You know, I think I, I love chasing and putting together deals that definitely like kind of 
gets me excited. I like helping people at the same time. So I understood like that was a good place for me, like at least in the business world, like a role that I can do those things and be a people person. And then I looked at like my own like health and wellness and I started a, a journaling practice and meditation, which I still carry out to this day. So, um, and then, you know, being physical, I knew that was such an important part of my life. There's nothing better for me after like a six, six, seven mile run. Like, yeah, I might be suffering during that time, but then all day, you know, the endorphins and everything just feels amazing. And so I actually, uh, about six years ago, five years ago, I discovered surfing. Um, you know, I was a skateboarder and a snowboarder. I never surfed. And I really just took to that. And so I surf almost every single morning. I wake up, you know, at five in the morning, drive to the beach. It's cold. It's dark. It's all the things. Um, but I get to have, you know, my movement for the day. It's very meditative, you know, being in the water. I see dolphins. I'm, you know, it's social. I got some amazing guys that I get to surf with. Um, so it checks out so many boxes and I start my day like that. So it's one of those things where it's like, all right, how bad is my day going to be? If I, if I literally started in the beautiful Pacific ocean with some of the you know, nicest guys you could ever hope to meet. Um, and then I do come home on most days, you know, and, and journal and meditate, you know, journal for about 10 or 15, meditate for about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then, yeah, before I open up the computer and, and, you know, the onslaught of things that, you know, happen as an entrepreneur and as a you know, head of household and all that kind of stuff. It's, there's a lot to keep track of. Um, but I really selfishly, I take care of myself first. You know, it's, it's like the airplane thing, you know, put on your oxygen mask first. I do that. And without any guilt whatsoever, I take care of me and then I can be the best version for my kids and my wife and my business partner and friends. Okay. So how did you, you talk, you mentioned resets a couple of times in the conversation. What were the triggers that you have that you were like, Hmm, Maybe I should look into it deeper and deeper and deeper to the point you realize, oh, I need to reach that. I'm just curious about, because some of us may have those yeah. uh, symptoms or indicators or triggers and completely ignore them. I just wanted curious to know from yeah. a, a discovery perspective, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I ignored and just accepted for a long time, but I, I do feel like the universe just made it abundantly clear for me. So I, I mentioned that I worked at a place that replicated CDs and DVDs. So one of these, I was able to take samples um, of, of the products now and again. And I had this sample of an audio book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I didn't know what it was. I never heard of Eckhart Tolle. I didn't know what Power of Now was, but it was this seven disc set that I just kept. And I, you know, I had moved a few times and I always take this, you know, seven disc CD set. And so one day I was talking with a friend about what I was kind of going through. And she said, hey, I think you would really enjoy the book, The Power of Now. And I said, huh, you know what? That sounds familiar. I think I have those CDs. Lo and behold, go into the junk drawer, pulled it out. Um, and that that book, that audio book by, by Ecker really just put everything in perspective. And, you know, I'm not sure if everyone's going to have that, you know, clear of a sign, but like I was listening to it and it just, resonated with me on so many different levels and it just really pinpointed to me that I wasn't living my fullest potential you know, I wasn't happy in these other aspects of my life and um yeah it wasn't easy it wasn't easy what what I had to do what I went through I ended up meeting you know the absolute love of my life my my queen she's she's everything I didn't know women like her existed but like I had to go through this darkness and this really rough patch to get there um and so yeah Eckhart Tolle has now been a part of my life and my journey. And, you know, I listened to other works of his and, you know, tangential ones as well. That was really inspiring. So you realize you're in the, let's call it dark place without being 
I'm letting you share whatever you're comfortable sharing, but why give you the courage? Because it's one thing to realize, hey, I'm in this dark place. Yeah. Uh, there's another thing to say, hey, I have to do something. And there's a third thing, which is, let me do something now. Did did you did something happen for you to have the courage, or what? that's part just part of you? Where hey, I got to do it. Let's just do it and figure the rest out. It was really. It just. It was so hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like you could be dead tomorrow. Like you have one life. I mean, as far as I know, I have one life. Do you want this to go this way anymore? And I just, I just said hell no. I don't want this for me anymore. It's it's I'm, I'm a caregiver by nature, and I kind of got into a pattern, you know, of doing things. And I, I'm like, you're just not. You're not being true to yourself. And so that's where I was just like, it's okay to be selfish. Do you want like, would I want my daughters to live my life? No. But do I want to be an example of like, all right. And when you get married young too, like that's another thing. I'm like, I met my now ex-wife like in college. I was a baby. Looking back on it, you know, so it's like things change. People change. And so I was just like, yeah, you made a mistake. And yeah, you made a promise. You know, like marriage, I take it very seriously. Like that was not an easy thing to like, say that I'm done with but like when I realized that I had made a mistake in who I was with and like there was a lot of other things happening like I just I had to you know like I had there wasn't even a choice I'm like I'm done got it no that makes sense yeah thanks for sharing that by the way well as far as your your routine today I'm curious to know how did you get to that uh the, the current routine the was it trial and error what were the inputs essentially that that you had in your life, it could be books, it could be resources, it could be just trying to, oh, whatever the case may be, uh, for somebody out there that has a lot of interest, but I cannot put that into a routine because work could be busy, for example, because they're trying to take over the world. They have these KPIs, this, all this stuff to, to hit. How did you, one, find the right routine, and two, find the courage, again, to impose it to yourself, say, hey, let me be selfish and take care of myself first before whatever else? Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of trial and error. I mean, I... I wish that everybody could find an activity that you could get your movement in, get your exercise that you actually enjoy. Cause like, then it's not like a, a thing that I force myself to. Like, I don't wake up at five and be like, oh crap, I got to go surf. It's like, it's five, I get to go surf. And, um, you know, I know not, not every activity is going to be um, as amenable and something you can do every day like that. But if it's tennis or just, racquetball or like a sport. I just feel like having a sport and it could be running too. I know I, I went through a running phase, something that you just enjoy that you can do every day is so key. And so, you know, I was a gym rat for a long time, so that would get me excited. And I used to do that first thing in the morning and you know, I did try a lot of different things and then, you know, surfing just really stuck with me and it checks off so many boxes. And then, um, also my business partner, um, who's my partner at at the agency as well as the, uh, you know, the startup that we spun off. He's been a trainer for, you know, 20 years on the side and he's just, he's like always experimenting with stuff. So I have the benefit of getting to hear all the things he's doing and trying and, you know, trying this meditation app and this routine. And so that's always been helpful. Just having someone that's, you know, been in that space for a while that I can kind of glean off of. Okay, cool. So let's talk about partner business partnership for, for a second. Uh, how's that going? How do you keep it sane and how do you keep it harmonious? Because uh, you guys have been at it for a while. Choosing a business partner, man, it is as important as your your life partner, you know, your your husband or wife or whatnot. So, you know, the, it built over time. You know, my business partner and I were very complimentary in, in our skill sets. We're both just like very driven. We trust each other implicitly. Um, you know, he, he is absolutely like a brother to me. So I, I think we just, we did kind of luck out 
in the sense that like there's never a sense of oh what is what is he doing is he pulling his weight you know um and we just communicate so we we made it a you know a daily thing every monday excuse me every every day at 9 30 pacific we're on our daily stand-up call with each other because he used to be in santa monica where i'd go up to see him uh i live in, in seal beach but he moved just before covid to uh, salt lake city and so we're like well, we're not gonna miss on that so we we keep each other accountable you know and we have our checklist he's a very systems driven guy so you know we have boards where we're seeing what the other one's doing and moving things you know along um but yeah we talk every single morning get our day started make sure we're aligned on you know what we're trying to accomplish that day that week that month that quarter and yeah anytime we've ever had stuff that's bubbled up which has been pretty rare but you know he has some young kids and i had i have three teenage daughters and so um we just got really good at just being really honest with each other, you know, even having those, those every once in a while, a tough conversation. It's like, Hey, been noticing this or that, you know, we just get, get to the heart of it. Was it always like that from day one where it was a tough start that with your honesty, transparency and, and desire to grow you guys business, then you had to overcome things or what did you just happen organically? Yeah, we, we, we just stuck, a, struck such a good partnership and just a mutual respect that it, it really wasn't tough times. You know, I, I would, it was just like, let's get after it. And then I, we each, we have our different work styles. You know, I'm, I tend to be more little loosey goosey and, you know, I do have a routine for a lot of things, but that's nothing compared to, to my business partner who is like really regimented and he loves time box things. And I like a little bit more fluidity. Um, so I wouldn't say we butt heads on that, but it's, we just have different styles and like just accepting that for each other. Now, as far as I understand, uh, physical activity, family and business are important to you from what I'm hearing now, has there been situation or can you think of a situation where one had to take over the other, uh, not just in a bad way, but just in yeah. any way. Can you share those with us? Yeah. I mean, th there's times, especially like when you're launching a product, which we did like my attention and bandwidth is, is pinched. Um, and, and work is taking up a lot of time. So what I would try to do is just reorganize my day a little bit. You know, I, I no longer have young kids. So like they're up late now. So it's like, I would just find opportunities to, to fill in the gaps, um, that maybe I, I could have earlier, but, and I honestly having conversations, you know, with your wives and your children by saying, Look, I know I haven't been around as much as I'd like to, and and just calling it out and owning it, I think that makes everyone feel better too. It's like, hey, this is going to be a really rough week for me, time wise, or I might be stressed out. Um, having those kind of lines of communication, and I know my wife appreciates it, and as the kids, you know, mature, they they certainly do as well. Thanks for sharing. I see that with your risk bank balance is a big deal for you. Was it always a big deal, or with the let's say the transition and the, the tough things you have to you have to grow through a couple of years ago uh, that's when you realize balance was a key and really you really need to uh make it a thing in your life or the thing in your life yeah i think i always have known about it without maybe putting a, a label on it. and i mentioned just in high school i was like i don't want to just be an academic i want to have fun and go to parties so like i always had this inner sense of like you can do a little bit of everything you know, and, you know, some trial and error on what's going to work. Obviously you can't party too hard on a Sunday night if you expect to go to class Monday morning. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I think I was lucky enough to always have this sense of kind of wanting to do it all. And, um, you know, and then certainly that was even more focused after I went through some of these more rough times, like, all right, how do I actually make this happen? You know, now that I'm juggling family business, 
you know, and then my own physical and, and personal health. Okay. Um, as far as I want to say holistic success, if that makes sense, what would be your definition of success? Because it sounds to me you're pretty good in life and not that it sounds to me you stated that earlier. What does success look like today and where do you see that going in the next X amount of years? I kind of just hit on something the other day where I think having a, a, a continual hunger to earn and to like achieve is really, really important. And I used to jokingly say, I still believe this to this moment. I, I wouldn't want to win the lottery. Like if someone just said, Hey, here's, you know, a hundred million dollars, I would not take it. I don't want to have something that I didn't earn. I also just have seen and anecdotally of people that have like a ton of money and no purpose to actually like work anymore. They kind of, they can lose it. You know, obviously there's philanthropic things, um, and especially younger kids that maybe are born into a lot of wealth. They, they seem to flounder. So for me, having a safety net that I have now, I've been able to build that up, got to buy my house and, you know, saving for the kids, saving for retirement. Like I have enough where I'm not like waking up every night, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay my bills? But I don't have this big of a bankroll that I don't ever have to work again. So for me, it's like a nice balance. And I really did realize the other day, I'm like, I like having that fire, you know, like if that, if you added an extra couple of zeros in my bank account, like I would feel a little bit different. I don't think I would have that gumption, you know, for these products and, and really push myself to the limits of creativity and, you know, making sure, you know, that I'm putting everything into my, my work. What's the fire? Like what's firing you right now? Right now it's, it's getting vouch, which is the, the product that is like, you know, again, incubated within the agency, it's definitely like our baby, you know, it's, it's something that, and I, when I talk to people about it, they're like, why hasn't this been, you know, created before? And I'm like, cause it's really hard. Um, you know, not the concept of it, but getting people to use, you know, apps these days, you know, it's, it's like people are just fatigued when it comes to, you know, another app. Um, but this thing is of that makes, you know, save people time, saves people money. It connects people as well. Um, it promotes nothing but positivity. So it's like the anti Yelp, you know, if you had a bad experience at your local bagel shop, instead of going on Yelp and just bashing him, like you wouldn't mention it on, on vouch, but if you had a great experience at, you know, that shop or a good service from somewhere else, like you would want your friends and family and community to know about it. So, um, you know, it's a platform that's a hundred percent positive and you can literally vouch for anything from a, a documentary to that bagel shop, which I mentioned to a hike, maybe that you went on to, you know, all sorts of, you know, meditation apps and technology and, you know, it's on and on. It's really like kind of repository for anything that you'd put your name on that you would vouch for. So give me the value prop, man. Give me the the elevated piece because I could see what it could be, but I'll let you sell it to me. What yeah. is it? What problem does it solve? Um, the whole the whole nine. Yeah. So the, the primary problem that it solves is that um, quite often we are given recommendations Okay, either directly from our friends or family, or maybe we hear about it on a podcast. And that, again, might be um, for a book like The Power of Now. Like if someone's listening today and if they you know, maybe trusted my opinion or were curious about it, um, there has never really been a great way to keep track of that recommendation. So before I had Vouch, you know, I was using um, Evernote or I'd use Wonderlist and I had all these lists. I had lists of movies to watch, of books to read, of restaurants to try. So I had all these disparate lists and I started talking to people about what do you do to keep track of things? And there was like just wide range of 
you know, solutions people tried to come up with, but none of them are really that great. So for me, when I'm talking to somebody and it's a recommendation that I really do want to try, like, I don't want to forget about it. I don't want to miss it. So on the one hand, it's like a utility. It's a really concise place to keep track of the recommendations that you want to try. That's number one. And then number two is, um, is being able to discover things, right? From your friends or people that you trust that, you know, again, if you're maybe going to get into surfing and your, your friend is already like an accomplished surfer, you might want to see what that person who's kind of an expert in that space already is recommending from gear to movies and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just like a fun and creative way to, you know, kind of get the the cheat sheet of life, you know, for whatever it is you're into, whether it's camping or entrepreneurism, like we have a lot of people that are, you know, vouching for great podcasts and business books, you know, on the platform for the, for the entrepreneurs. What's the, uh, what's the URL? I'm trying to check it out right now. Yeah. It's vouchvault.com. Oh, vouchvault.com. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, publicly try to shorten the name to just vouch, but yeah, the official name is vouch vault. It's available. Um, Got it. and Android. Okay. And, yeah. Beautiful. And how's that going as far as the uh, its growth, client customer acquisition, and user rates, retention, whatever the top yeah. criteria are for you? It's a, it's a big learning curve. So we have just over 10,000 uh, users that have been on the platform at, at some point. Um, and yeah, retention is everything. So we're continuing to, you know, tweak the product and really work on having product market fit. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. I mentioned how broad, you know, the platform can be used. So when you think about that and it could be used by everybody, that's a difficult way to market, um, as you can imagine. So we're really just trying to focus on some micro target audiences. So moms, like the millennial mom being one group, we're also working with like the Greek and fraternity system on another, just to see like what, you know, what type of user is really going to clamp on and get the most value so we can go ahead and replicate that. But we really are focusing on parents right now, and that's been going really well for retention and engagement. So. Okay, cool. So, and what's your next big goal? Is it really users acquisition or signups, or is it something else that you have going on? It's really about, yeah, kind of retaining the users and ensuring that we build a product that people will use over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, once we kind of find that sweet, pot, sweet spot for retention, that'll be really um, a great way because then we're going to go raise... Um, some funds a little bit later, either this year or early next year. Um, and yeah, hopefully to continue just to grow. Like we don't, we're not looking for, we'd love a massive success real fast, but we know like when you're building a social platform like this, unless you have a billion dollars to spend, it's going to take time and that's okay. So you mentioned you have different niches or different pockets that you, you want to for you actually actively working on for yeah. now, just to be a little bit more strategic about how you spend your effort. Are you building it in-house the whole, not in-house, but you have it's custom code the whole thing pretty much yeah so we we built it at spark six so yeah we incubated it there and exactly right it's all custom as far as spark six what's the um how's it going what's the next steps what's keeping you up at night actually when it comes to spark six yeah i mean i i think if you listen to a lot of the rhetoric you know in about the economy it sounds like we could be in for some some rough times um you know knock on wood like we're we're nice and busy um, at the agency. So, but that's still, that does keep me up at night. I mean, it is how we both support our families, um, my business partner. We, you know, our entire team, you know, designers and developers, like there's a lot of people that are uh, relying upon the work that we do. So that it does. I'm not saying it keeps me up at night, but a uh, tip of the spear, always making sure that we have new opportunities coming through the door is really, really, really important. So, 
yeah, just looking at some new marketing and business development initiatives. And you know, we really haven't done much marketing as an agency. We've relied on referrals and, you know, just kind of word of mouth, but we're, you know, we're experimenting with, you know, some of these AI tools that are reaching out to maybe get some appointments booked and, you know, get some potential clients on, on the line to see if there's some work together. What's your percentage of clients that are referral word of mouth versus not uh, historically? Are we talking 90? Are we talking 60? Are we talking 10? 90? Okay. 90% is, yeah, referral word of, word of mouth. Okay, beautiful. And repeat customers, or is it basically one and done, big project done, or how, how, how what's the model like? Now, we're getting a lot of, you know, repeat clients, and I can't say it's always been that. I want to be real, you know, honest, obviously, with the audience that, you know, there's a lot of learning, you know, at every stage. And so, we've put in a, a lot of time these past, like, four years into our process, because you know, there's great developers, there's great designers kind of everywhere, and we have a bunch of them. But the the process of of building software um, and designing, it can be it can be tricky. There can be landmines, there can be a lot of unknowns. And so we realized that even though we had really talented people doing the work, that if at the end of the day the client didn't walk away from that experience and say that was that was a good experience, like the product might be great at the end, it often is. But if they were just like that was rough, it was rough to get there they're probably not going to come back and they're probably not going to refer. So we have taken, yeah, a ton of strides and improvements on making sure that that journey from the moment they engage with Spark 6 to the moment we deliver their product, that they're like, that was cool. Like it might not have been stress-free or, you know, gone 100% as planned, but if they felt like we were their partner along the way, that we understood them, that we met them in the middle, that we cared and that we delivered on what we said we would, like, that's like, that's gold when I have a client that says, you guys nailed it. And it's almost better when there's a little hiccup because then they can really see our colors, you know, like it's like easy when things are all gravy. But what happens when something's late? How, how do you handle that? What happens when, you know, something's broken? So Yeah, it's, it's a good, good that you mentioned. I was having a conference with a converse, uh, conversation with a friend earlier about the, the whole experience. So from your standpoint, what do you experience in trying to uh, get your clients to feel and to leave from the moment where they first point of contact to they sign the check and toward the process and delivery. I'm curious to know what are kind of the the biggest milestone where you say, okay, this is important. They have to have such experience. How do you manage your experience in the customer journey? I love to to hear uh, your, yeah. your, your standpoint on that. The biggest complaint I think that we would ever get, or most people is like, they don't know what's going on. So like it's, mm easy to say transparency. We're tra like, I think every business is, oh, we're transparent and like, okay, good. Are you really? And how do you execute on that? So what tools are you using to be transparent? Frustration comes when like, obviously there's a misalignment in an expectation. The client thinks that something is going to be done on Friday and it doesn't come in until Monday. That's a source of frustration because that client was expecting something and you missed it. And that's where they're going to get mad. So do things get late and delayed all the time? I mean, if anyone's done a home construction project, like things happen and it's not always because of incompetence or poor planning. Sometimes there's a boulder that you didn't know about um, where you were going to put your pool. So now you have to get in a backhoe. And we, we use analogies with building all the time in software because it is often the same type of issues that we run into. So being so proactive in planning that like, okay, we just saw the boulder on Tuesday. We were digging your pool. It was supposed to be done on Friday. We just saw the boulder on Tuesday. So number one, of course, we should alert the client. 
but they should also be, have a system where they could be looking at it, the board on Tuesday and say, oh, that looks like there's something delayed. So being able to have them explore and see that for themselves, in addition to the, of course, the project manager is going to let them know that things are late. So just getting ahead of it, right? Like just being honest and open, like this is a problem. We didn't foresee this. So-and-so sick, like whatever it is, it happens. We're human. But if you can just get out in front and say like, cool, it's not Friday now. Really sorry about that. It's now Monday. You know, we're good to go. And then, you know, I think that's really important. Okay. So it, do you, would you say it's mainly around communication? What I mean by they said expectation, visibility into the, the pipeline, the project plan, or oh, the, the all of that. Yeah, of that. Okay. All about the planning and communication. I mean, you know, you can have a set of designs and I might make one assumption about how that's supposed to work, but like, Maybe the client has a completely other one. So like we're really going through and like that whole idea of measuring twice and cutting once type of a thing. Like just before we start coding, before we start designing, like is there a hundred percent alignment and understanding on what we're doing and why? And then, you know, yeah, having documentation for requirements and scoping documents. So there's no, oh, why did you build it this way? You know, like, no, like taking the time. And that's often like a, not an easy conversation because most of our clients, like anyone, like they're anxious. Like they finally maybe got their funding and they're like, let's go, go, go. And it's like, I get it, but let's pump the brakes for a second and let's be strategic and make sure that we're going to build it the right way. Because there's nothing worse than like having throwaway work There's and the time and the money that's associated with it. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. The last question I had around that was, it's all custom. Everything you do is custom work, is it? Yeah. Okay, cool. So a lot of requirement up front, a lot of, got it. Do you guys use any agile framework? It could be Kanban, it could be Scrum, anything like that? We we do both of those actually, yeah. Do you think that helps having demos, having maybe uh, that kind of stuff to set expectations or not really? hundred percent. It really does. And when with these tools these days, like Figma for design and, and making clickable prototypes before anything's ever actually coded. It's been a, a really huge benefit. So let's talk about it. I'd love to hear before we, we switch to the, the last segment here. What are the tools? It could be tool, technical tool. It could be tool as far as a uh, communication tool that you have in place. Yes, you mentioned the meeting and all that, yeah. but anything else that really helped smooth in that relationship so that when you go home, you don't have to be yeah. stressed out because of work, essentially. Totally. So we adopted uh, two platforms for project management and communication. So for the project management side, we use ClickUp, um, which is like Trello and you know some of these other kind of boards where you can have cards and slide them over. That's a really, really great for Agile. Um, you have your giant backlog, things you're working on, things that are, you know, it's really user-friendly. Clients that aren't super techie can really get on there. Um, and that's a, a really great tool that we use. Um, so that's for the project management. And then for client communications, we use Slack. We really try and teach our clients to get out of email. We know the pitfalls and the trials and tribulations of email. So every single project has um, a client-facing channel. And then there's also a corresponding internal channel for you know the team just to be able to chat about. And so anytime they would normally fire us an email or what, I would say put it in Slack. So that's way obviously people can get you know, read into the project very easily. Um, you know, there's all sorts of alerts that you can set up for your for your channels and stuff. And our clients really seem to enjoy that. So, so that's been really helpful. Cool. Have you ever had challenges having your clients understand Agile from the perspective, hey, we have sprints, we have these different iterations, especially if you're coming from waterfall world, uh, where they want to know, okay, how much is going to be 
cost me how when is it going to be delivered going from yeah. that mindset to okay now we have a different ever had those challenges or every day every day yeah it is something that we we try and navigate and inform and you know we've done some writing and you know about agile methodology and you know going back to that building analogy like quite often someone says well, what does it cost to build my platform and i say well what does it cost to build a house like until we do the the blueprints which you know in software are wireframes like I don't know. So we we do need to go through that process. And I can say, you know, the average home in California costs this much, just like I could say like the average mobile app, but like that's not really that helpful. Um, so yeah, going through and, and really teaching, you know, why we do things a certain way is, is super important. But, you know, especially as like, you know, maybe first time entrepreneurs that maybe never built software, like they have a million ideas, you know, and of course they want them all into their product. And that's the sure way of you know, making sure you're gonna have a bloated late product. Um, and so I know, I'm sure you're familiar with the MVP, a minimum viable product, which is what we're always shooting for. Our agency, we call it a minimum awesome product, which isn't totally just like, you know, being cheeky, but you know, in this day and age, we do believe like products have to be pretty awesome for people to use them. And so like, we just take that same mentality. What's, what's the most, you know, key features that would still be um, you know, engaging and, and useful enough for someone to actually use your product. So that's what we, we always define our minimum awesome product as like first release and then have that giant backlog of a bunch of other things that, you know, we'll get to later. No, that's beautiful. I really wanted to ask you these questions because I've been in that space for close to 20 years now. And I, now the way I look at it is the hardest part is, is to be aligned on communication for them to understand, especially depending on how mature or not they are to understand what agile is and, yeah. and, and, and what, and, and the, the versus waterfall, especially if they're coming from that space, the tech side is always easy. The delivery is easy. The, but if, if you're not aligned, it's like you mentioned, a lot of education that needs to come into play and a lot of selling as well. So I was just curious to know how you, you handle that in your, in your agency. Last yeah. but not least around the agency, why you, so to speak? So if there's a, somebody out there listening to this, uh, why would they come to uh, work with you? Why would they knock at your door and say, hey, can you help me here? Or why, why would they not? Who do you want to do that one? Yeah, I mean, why us is like, we're, we're just a really good group of of technologists and product people. And we're, we're best used like in a collaborative kind of fashion. You know, I mentioned earlier, my background is in behavioral psychology. So like, I love getting inside the the mindset of, you know, the potential user, you know, we'd call those personas and stuff. So, you know, working with my UX and strategy team, like, you know, we just want to make sure we're building the right products. And I'm not sure, you know, that every shop takes as much care in doing that. Obviously, like there is some research and discovery and, you know, persona development, but like we really take our time to make sure that we're building the, the right product for the right person. Um, we care a lot about what we do. We're not just a, a one and done shop. Like our relationships are long-term. We care deeply um, about, you know, being a technology partner for our clients. And so, yeah, that just that level of care, um, I don't think it's a dime a dozen out there. I think we're, we're unique in that aspect. And then for us, you know, we get, we're luckily at a position where, you know, we don't get to choose every project, but we do say no quite a bit. Um, we don't want, we don't want any jerks out there. Honestly, life's too short. Uh, we understand things can be stressful. And, um, you know, there are personality quirks that, you know, you have to deal with, but just, if you're a good person, you got good energy, we want you. If you're, you know, if you're going to be a, a dictatorial, you know, kind of a pain in the butt, then, you know, we'd, we'd gladly pass you on to someone else. <laughs> okay, cool. 
And the one, because a lot of your business is uh, referral and word of mouth. Do you have any systems or anything in place so that you can get either more referrals or you basically augment your successes? Remember if it's through marketing, it's through whatever, or any anything you have in place? Or you yeah, yeah. We, we have like an evergreen, you know, referral agreement, you know, which, you know, if you refer clients and we open that up to our team members as well as clients, you know, they can get you know, a portion of a referred business that goes back to them. Um, and sometimes if there's ever a feeling of like a conflict of interest, we still like to take care of um, that person by maybe making a donation on their behalf instead, just so at least someone's winning from that. I mean, we really are so grateful for people that refer us business. Again, they might not want the money, you know, which is fine. But how about just give me a charity and, and we'll get that money over to someone that could use it. As we're about to wrap up here, two questions that are top of mind here. The first one is, in, in recent times, a challenge that you had to overcome and once that you were able to overcome it, you had more mental space, mental freedom, and then you felt weight off your shoulder. Does my question make sense? There's always stuff. I mean, I again, I, I think I try and hit the, the pressure release valve before it feels like that. You know, I mean, I've had, you know, challenges with my parents and their health and certainly my, my kids doing their things. Um, but honestly, like... I really do my best to like not let it get up to this monumental thing where I just feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. No. Good. Yeah. And uh, the next question that I had in mind as we were talking was, is there something today that if you remove will give you more harmony in your life? I, I, I think for me as, as I like to be like a person of light and love and, and I kind of compassion, I can still be like kind of judgmental, which I don't like about myself. And so if I could remove any kind of judgment, you know, every, I feel like everyone is doing their best out there. I kind of, in my journal, I'll, I'll write that a lot. I like having empathy for people. And it's like, I believe people are doing their best, you know, given their circumstances and their tool toolboxes that they have to work with. So, um, so instead of being judgmental about why did so-and-so do it that way or act that way, like just maybe looking at it from a place of curiosity and just being more empathetic is one thing I do remind myself of is like, thank goodness the world's not just a bunch of me's. Like that would be such a crappy place to live. Like, and I'm so grateful that there's so many different types of people and that they operate their lives in that way. That's why we have amazing symphonies and actors and like all the wonderful arts and just, you know, great business people that would do things completely opposite way of me. So just reminding myself if I could remove kind of that, that judgy, kind of jerk part of myself, you know, and, and squash it. I think uh, my life will be even better. Thanks for sharing. It's a, it's a, it's really humbling and, and much appreciate that you shared that. Anything else we forgot or you want to mention to join us for us, um, living a life of harmony, but still pushing the boundaries from all perspective that you can share. It could be beliefs. It could be the way you learn. It could be the inputs that you have in your life. Anything else that we haven't touched on? No, I would just say like, keep tweaking, you know, like we're all, we're going to be different than we are now in five years or maybe even five months. So like, you know, I, keep trying things, you know, until you find something that really resonates, you know, this meditation app might not be great for you, but it's great for someone else or this, you know, routine. So yeah, I just think continue to experiment and push yourself, you know, it's really something that, you know, I, I try to do and, and talk to my kids about, you know, so yeah. Beautiful. Uh, how can folks find out more about you personally, about your different businesses and any other resources you may have. Yeah. I mean, 
feel free to, to reach out to me on, on Spark6 or VouchVault. You know, I'm eric at spark6.com or eric at vouchvault.com. That's E-R-I-C. Um, yeah, I would love to hear from the audience. And, you know, if I could ever be of help to anybody, whether it's just a chat going through something or need any software development, I'm here. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll have those links in the show notes and in the description of this video. I thank you very much for your time. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for being open. And thanks for sharing all your experience and expertise. We'll keep uh, in touch. Best of luck. Yeah. Been my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Keep up no the great problem. work too. Absolutely.